0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the IC, joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Very good, thanks, Sean. Excellent. And today we are going to talk mainly about competition, because there was a very interesting announcement from the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, um, this week, saying that essentially it was a very sort of open-ended statement, but they want to look at competition in the UK economy. And that's something that comes up frequently on this podcast. And in fact, looking at your alpha report, a lot of the companies in there would probably find themselves uh, under scrutiny. Tell us the backstory.
1: The, the, the sort of brief synopsis here. The brief backstory is that the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, uh, came out uh, on Wednesday or yesterday, uh, saying they're going to have a proper look at competition within, you know, across the whole UK economy.
0: Well, that's that's a lot of. Stuff to look at. <laughs>
1: it's, this is not something that's going to happen quickly, but it's, it is a lot of stuff to look at. But there is a uh, this is this is um, Andrew Teary, who used to be, I think in, I think he would used to chair the Treasury Select Committee in Parliament, um, who's now gone over to run the the Competition Markets Authority, and you know, he, th- he he he's of the view, and I and I agree with this and see the sense of this that uh, a real look at competition within the UK economy is long overdue. And this all comes down, this is also linked to a theme that's been developing over the, certainly over the last 10 years of does capitalism work for people? And I think there are a lot of good grounds here for thinking that in some cases, it doesn't. And if we look at competition, and we look at, you know, there are there are a lot of benefits of competition for the consumer. In terms of choice, which brings down prices, and generally can also spur economic growth as well by producing more stuff, and everyone becomes better off. I think what's happening, and I think there are good grounds and lots of evidence for this, is what we've seen, particularly I think since the the last recession, the financial crisis, is that one of just just go off on a tangent here. One of the the ways you measure competition, and measuring competition is not easy. But one of the one of the most often cited measures of competition is something called industry concentration. Mm-hmm. So, how much of a industry is taken up in terms of sales or output by a number of firms?
0: So, it's market share, basically.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. You know, market share, and there's a lot of evidence saying that concentration across industries has increased and that because of that, there's nothing to keep firms that have become dominant or have gained a dominant position to keep them in check from rising prices too much. And there is a worry or a concern that consumers are getting a bad deal. They're getting ripped off. I mean,
0: it is quite interesting. We take, for example, a company like Hargreaves Lansdowne. Which we talk about a lot. Now, it has a very significant market share of the platform market. Yeah. And I suspect a lot of listeners will actually use them. Um, and I know we certainly do in my house. But they have got to that position. Not, not, it's not like Rentier. They have got there by, by providing a service that other people weren't providing, by growing substantially. You could argue the same with Domino's Pizza, which, which is in your report this week. They have got where they are by being a good company and growing.
1: Yes. I mean, this is it. It's, it's, it's dominance by fair means or foul, you know, and and, and it's, you know, you can have companies that, ha- that have developed dominant market positions because they have been extremely good at serving customers.
0: Yeah, so, so but then when you go, when you look at them now and say, oh, Hargreaves Lansdowne, too successful, you're, pe- you're, you're talking about penalising success. You
1: are. But I, I, your choice of example is something that you know... <laughs> I, I i think you know let's 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 talk about you know i've've I've mentioned Hargreaves landsdown a number of times in in, in in stuff that I've written my problem with a company like this and it's an industry problem as well it would apply to other platforms is that there is i think the customer customers in on platforms are getting a bad deal i think they are overpaying to own managed funds um in terms of the platform fees because what's happening is that let's say let's say you have a UK a UK fund uh, which uh, invested in the UK stock market so Hargreaves Lansdowne will charge 0.45% platform fee to you based on how much you've got invested invested in that up to a cap of 250,000 pounds and then the, the platform, the incremental platform fee comes down. You pay less for the more that you've got. If you own a, a FTSE One Hundred tracker fund, you pay nothing. And I, you know, the CMA has looked into the platform market mainly in terms of exit charges, of which the, have been scrapped. Yeah, because they were unfair. My view, and this is something I'm, I'm on the record saying, is that I think there is a differential or different pricing system being levied on investors here based on owning similar products. Mm. And, you know, you don't pay if you own a tracker fund, you don't pay or you pay a flat fee. So you'll pay a nominal flat fee. For example, Hargreaves Lansdowne, the fee is capped at £200 plus VAT. Um, and I think once you once you have a portfolio more than about 48000 you don't pay more than £200 a year. but if you, So, if you had a million pound portfolio, if you were lucky enough to have a million pound portfolio in Hargreaves Lansdowne, all in shares, you would pay £200 a year plus VAT to Hargreaves Lansdowne. If you owned it all in managed funds, I forget what the figure was, but it's in the, I think it's out of three or four thousand. Uh, so if you just look at the tiered fee, for what? And this is this this is what one of the reasons why Hargreaves Lansdown and other companies not not just don't want to be a Hargreaves basher here. This is an industry problem. that The problem here is that you you are making monopoly profits from a from a different charging structure for something that, in many cases, is the same thing. It's a fund. It's a pooled investment of lots of different shares in a fund. So why should you pay different prices? If I own a portfolio of shares and a portfolio of funds, why should I pay a platform provider a small amount of money for one and a huge amount of money for the other? And this all comes back um, from how the trail commission thing. We had something called the Retail Distribution Review (RDR), which is what 2014, I think.
0: It was a while back. Yeah, yeah. I forget when exactly. And
1: what that did was that bans trail commission. So. Platforms used to get, trail commission they used to get a platform fee and they used to get an advice fee. And it used to be about 0.6, 0.7, 0.75 even. And they used to use that to discount mm-hmm. funds. Now, what happened is that those, those that trail commission was banned. And it seems to me what's happened here is the platform providers that used, pushed funds to consumers, to savers, because they were very lucrative in terms of the commissions they've got, all they've done is replace that commission with a platform fee. And therefore, you preserve your very high levels of profitability if you have sufficient scale to cover all your costs. And Hargreaves Land's has got over a million, million customers, and that's why it's making 60% plus profit margin. So,
0: so I guess this is where it becomes interesting from... Uh, I mean, obviously, Hargreaves is an interesting company from uh, from the perspective of people using the platform, but it's, it's obviously a, a listed company as well. So... If the CMA is is waving its its saber and saying uh, we're coming up, we're, we're going to look at competition. Is there a risk to companies like Hargreaves that, that 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 they face significant scrutiny, which affects their their share price ultimately?
1: Yeah, there is. I mean, I mean, this is what makes it such an interesting and important, potentially important topic for for investors because lots of people, myself included, have written about you know the kind of Companies that have attractive characteristics, and one of the most attractive characteristics is a business that doesn't have a lot of
0: competition. Indeed, and in fact, Christillo uh, in his uh, his comment this week writes, know it's better to have proven monopoly power in a niche market than the hope of share of a share of a growing but competitive market." So, monopoly is good for investors. Yeah. So, so this is this is potentially something that investors need to take very very seriously.
1: Absolutely. Um, and you know it's, it's it's being talked about in the UK at the moment let's see whether this spreads
0: well i mean there's been lots of talk about uh, tech companies yeah. and their dominance and you've written about alphabet in uh, in your alpha report this week yeah which which most people will know better as google and google has dominance of search yeah now where where does that get regulated there's been a lot of talk about regulation of tech but where does it happen these are strange businesses multinational they crossing are. borders
1: and they're also Shares that have done phenomenally
0: well for investors because of their monopoly strength. Yeah, yeah. So what happens next?
1: I mean, if you look at you know, <laughs> if you look at the whole investment philosophy of you know even people like Warren Buffett, Terry Smith, Nick Train, and lots of others, they these are the kind of companies that they they like to invest in. And so the thing for the investor to concentrate in on is working out in their own minds. How this company has achieved this position of dominance, and whether it's at risk. I mean, you know, you know, if you go back to the UK, I think I think one of the really interesting markets you've got a couple of really interesting markets. One's the banking system. The government created, arguably created, the problem of competition in the banking system by allowing Lloyd's to buy Halifax all those years ago. Just took out allowed one big company. To take out another big company, and okay, we've split off TSB, and other bits and bobs, but actually, where's 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 the real competition in banking?
0: Well, how does that manifest itself in terms of uh, the effect on the end markets? Okay, it's mortgages, it's mortgage prices, yes. mortgage rates. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm
1: I'm sure you could look. I mean, I I'm not convinced that there's a. You know, it's very difficult when mortgages are cheap to say that you're getting a bad deal. Mm. I think more more like deposits. Okay,
0: so but, they don't have to pay any interest, basically.
1: But but if they d- if they had to pay interest, they'd make no money, because because lending rates are so low, you have to have low deposits, low deposit rates, otherwise there's nothing left over. But you know the other interesting thing is house builders, and you know looking at Barretts and Red Row and who've come out this week, and a common theme of all these house building companies is that they tell you very happily. How much money they're making, how they are buying land with profit margins of 20, 25%, return on return on investment of 25, 30%. Now, that kind of that kind of return there are pretty much every company on the stock market would be very happy, with a few exceptions, would would be very happy to make 25, 30% return on investment. And you look at it and you look at the structure of the house building industry, it's not just the structure of it, but competition has gone down. The small builders have gone to the wall and you have a a market that is essentially carved up by not quite an
0: oligopoly, but not far off. But that, I mean, that's been a banking related issue as well. The fact that banks will not lend. Two smaller house builders or have have been unwilling to lend in the certainly post recession.
1: Absolutely. And it's also it's not just a it's not just a competition issue either, to be to be fair. It's a it's a structure of the land market in you know in terms of how do you free up the supply of land, the planning process. Um but what's interesting is that you go back to basics and look at the house 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 market, housing market, and you say, well. In any other market, if there was twenty twenty five percent margin or return on capital up for grabs, it would attract new entry and it would get competed away. And from what I can see, there's, there's been no significant new entry. Into the, certainly into the national housing market. Why what not? you What you've had is consolidation. You yeah, know?
0: but why not? Why why hasn't this been happening?
1: Because it's a play on. It's become a play on scale. I think since since the since the recession, the builders have realised that if they're bigger, they can be more profitable because they they can buy materials cheaper. They have the the financial capability uh, to buy land and particularly strategic land, so land that hasn't got planning permission,
0: and they just have more muscle. And, and and I guess this does end up with consumers, house buyers getting a bad deal. Arguably.
1: It's a complicated subject, John, as we've talked about <laughs> on
0: many occasions.
1: It's not it's not just about industry structure, it's about the supply of credit and all, all different types of things. But
0: you and you and I went for a long walk uh, around the Chelmsford area recently, and we, we uh, went on a little tour of, of, of local house-building sites. It's a lovely thing to do on a sa- Sunday morning. But, you know, the, the houses we've talked about before, they're, you're not getting as much for your money these days. You know, there's corners being cut, there's no front garden, there's tiny back gardens. Yes. They're, they're built, you know, much to, to a, a very common pattern. They all look the same. They don't, oh. they don't look like wonderful places to live. no. And, and you're paying a premium for that as well.
1: Paying a premium, but also it's the premium's being subsidised by the taxpayer. So the government, the government's got its hands all over this. And I don't want to go off on one on this. Mm. I've done it too many times. But these are the kind of issues and industries that need that you know are probably going to come under scrutiny. You know things like the insurance industry, the broadband industry. Um, you know things where people buy on a regular basis. You know the common gripe is. I got my car insurance renewal quote today and it was 25% higher than, than it was a year ago because insurance companies know they can make more money out of loyal customers and use it to win new customers. And you could say, well, that's the fault of the consumer. They should go
0: and shop around. It's inertia. People don't. It's inertia.
1: And same with the energy. I mean, the energy market, I mean, that's a completely broken market
0: as far as I'm concerned. Mobile phones is another really interesting one. There has been some talk about this. You know, you get to the end of your two-year contract within which you're paying for a handset, but then they don't, they don't drop the price. Yeah, you?
1: so really you're still handset. paying for the handset after you've paid, after it, you paid, pa- for it. paid it off, yeah.
0: That happens a lot. It does. And it seems that seems like a structural problem that, that, that actually the mobile phone operators have been able to get away with. Yes. Um, so, so I mean, th- this sounds very, very bad. I mean, good for consumers, bad for investors we we'll
1: see. I mean, I think there's always a tendency of you know, some kind of headline grabbing with this to be seen to be doing something. But uh, you know, I think you don't have to look very deeply into these kinds of issues that are being raised and say, "Yep, yeah, there's a there's some fair some fair questions being asked here."
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And um if uh, if competition can't work properly, then you know, we've had things in the past where businesses have had to be broken up.
0: Um, well, we talked to, about BT last week. To, yeah,
1: to increase increase competition. So it's definitely something that, that over the next couple of years, certainly, uh, investors, in my opinion, need to be keeping a close eye on this and what, what's being said. You're probably not going to hear much for the next few months.
0: Actually, we're gonna write about it in the magazine this week. <laughs> next week, so you yeah. will next week. I mean I mean from the CMA. Indeed, indeed. But But I know. mean the CMA doesn't exactly have a sparkling track record though. I mean is this is this a new CMA? Is this is the CMA actually finding at uh, finding finally what it's supposed to be doing? Well it might
1: you know it might be might be pulling its socks up to, to keep to keep itself in friends with the government. It's so about it's like, yeah,
0: but it sounds in some cases going to go head to head with the government. I mean, house building is yeah, you know, the government doesn't want that industry to be uh, to be undermined too significantly. It's very important to the economy. So, so the, I, I sense some friction ahead here. Between- so I think there's a lot of
1: potential friction ahead, but I think I think what it for me, you know, the first thing it sparked off for me was, you know, what in terms of the implication for investors is, what does it, what does it do, what potential threats are there for for businesses that are lauded. Because they are dominant, or because they have such few few competitors.
0: I mean, we would, you know, in the past, have perhaps described that as an economic moat, which is uh, which is a good thing. Find a moat; that's what you should be buying. Is is, it, is, is is monopoly power, or certainly oligopoly power, a different thing from a company with an economic moat? Absolutely,
1: yes. And this this is what you need to think about. So, whilst you should be alerted to what's going on here. There are going to be plenty of companies out there you look at and think, well, what can you accuse this company of doing wrong? You know, it's, it's built, it's engaged in competition. It's invested lots of money in developing a product that people like. It should be able to have the spoils of that. And we take
0: Amazon, which again you've written about in your alpha report this week. Now, Amazon is often accused of dominance, abusing a very strong market position um but actually it's giving people what they want.
1: Yeah, and this is this is the problem and it's a, it's something that you find throughout life. Those that are successful tend to attract a lot of criticism.
0: Hargis last, then. Yeah. I mean, we've actually there's a big piece uh written in the money section this week about uh the service aspects of the platform market and people value that quite a lot and Hargis are really good at it.
1: Oh, I think at- they I think they have been superb
0: at. This is why this is And they would argue that their high prices are, I some high prices are what enable them to provide that level of service which people really do value. And their customers are very satisfied with what they do.
1: They are. I think what the issue is here is that in the financial industry, financial industry is, is a massive play on scale. And, you know, you look at fund management, for example, you know, you get, once you get the scale and you get the fee income, you then, once you've covered all your costs, you start making
0: loads of money. Take well, take BlackRock or Vanguard, yeah. you know, doing amazing things to democratise investment and make it really cheap. Yeah.
1: But where's the competition in the management market? Mm. When do you ever get? I mean, when do you ever get a splash in the Investors Chronicle, for example, saying X Y Z asset management fund on sale now, discounted fee? I, I haven't. I don't remember seeing that.
0: I mean, there has been. There has been a general trend downwards in in fees uh in some of the managed funds. Maybe Gifford are really good at that. Scott
1: yeah, Scottish Mortgage Trust has been very, very good that as it's got bigger, it has passed some of the benefits in scale
0: back to customers. Mm. Hats off for that. Not all funds do the same. Let's not name many names, right now.
1: Well, don't know name many names, but you know, th- but there's no incentive for them to do so. That, you know, they they if the, if if investors are happy. Um, and you're making big returns, then 0.7 or 1% or 2% management fee might get ignored.
0: Mm. Should we go, should go back to the economic growth thing? Uh, I think this is a really important distinction to make. Uh, I mean, what sort of companies should we be looking if, if we are worried about the CMA coming along and and and, and essentially uh, you know taking away the free lunch for for some of these these uh, mon, more mon, monopolistic profit uh, making companies? What should we be looking for instead? Put you on the spot there, Phil. <laughs> I don't think you can
1: get away from monopoly in itself. I mean, there's monopoly and then there's barriers to entry and economic moats. They're two different things. Yeah. So you can have a product that's very profitable because it's very hard to compete against, but it doesn't mean that you've got a monopoly.
0: I mean, some, some of the sort of quality companies that we've talked about previously, yeah. you know, the, I think you've described them as problem solvers.
1: Yeah, so, so companies like Halmer Spirex Sarko. So they are going to be dominant in a niche. They, they, what they do though, is they make quite often these these problem solving companies. They can charge high prices and they can make high profit margins because the, the customer is very happy to pay that price because the money that they save in doing so is makes it worthwhile. Um. So those are the kind of companies with the kind of characteristics that you need to look for i mean Spirex Arco is a fantastic example of you know a com- companies that compete on service as well you know one of the, one of the things that's made spirexarco so successful is that it completely immerses itself with its customers mm. it gets involved you know, it has people walking the factory floors talking to their customers all the time they almost integrate themselves with their customer, so they they get to know their customers' businesses really well.
0: And presumably, this is really helping them with their sort of product development, and yeah, they're actually making things that their customers really, really want. Yeah, need.
1: It's you know you you're delving into the sort of area now of company culture, company business models, which are fascinating subjects, and vitally important sort of thing you don't see in a set you know you're not going to see this on an income statement or a cash flow statement or a balance sheet this is what you get from learning about company business models and company culture um I, I, the results I... the results eventually show up in the fi- in the financial statements but if you know if you can find companies that this is the difference between Companies that are, I think you need to focus on companies that are run for customers. And we've had this cult for the last goodness knows how many years of shareholder value. And I think it's been an absolute load of nonsense in that it has taken a lot of companies down a short-term path to maximizing profits at the expense of their customers and long-term value. Um probably a great example of that, you know, is you know, you see companies that have mistakes. You know, I was reading reading an article not so long ago about Boeing how Boeing has spent many more times more money on buying back its own shares than it has on research and development because it became far too shareholder focused rather than Sticking to what it was good at in terms
0: of making good products that customers wanted to buy. But it's, and it's easier. If you, if you, it's financial engineering, it's much easier to simply buy back shares and, and, and reap the financial benefits of that, or for shareholders to reap the financial benefits of that, than doing something incredibly risky, which is developing a new product. Yeah.
1: Or, or preparing to sacrifice short term profit for long term gain. This is one of the reasons I think Amazon is so successful is that Amazon is prepared to take a very long-term view, and it is prepared to sacrifice profits, sacrifice cash flow by investing in its business in terms of, you know, take for example the investments in logistics, delivery, um, customer service in terms of like Amazon Prime, which require an upfront cost, but if it makes the customer happy, that customer's going to stick with you for years and years and years, and actually make the business a lot of money and create a lot of value over the
0: long run. I mean, and it hasn't really helped. But I mean, that approach hasn't held back Amazon shares. They've continued no. to, to climb. This, I mean, this is good. This is good investing. This is people looking to the to the long term, as you say, value being created by by this approach, rather than the short term value of of getting some of your shares bought back.
1: But you know, if you look at the professional investor community, you know who are you now how, how many times have we come across a company that is struggling, and you get an active active activist investor comes on board, and you get change in strategy unilever we talked about it uh, last week or the week before unilever's on the end of a bid approach um, and it tries to defend itself in my view in the wrong way in that it goes and, goes on buybacks zero cost budgeting cost cutting cash flow generation and then you look at its top line it's stagnating because because it's It's either been under pressure or it's chosen this path to shove cash down shareholders' throats rather than actually develop a business that's continuing to grow.
0: I mean, this all sounds like the opposite of what uh, Chris has written this week is true. You know, that actually the hope of a share of a growing but competitive market is what you actually should be looking for.
1: Yes, I mean, in, in, in some ways, you know, the whole thing it comes back to you know what is equity investing all about, and. It's trying to identify businesses that can give you a growing income stream over the long haul. That's investing, not speculating or trading, investing.
0: I mean, it takes back to Scottish Mortgage. And I think Scottish Mortgage's biggest holding is Amazon. It also holds a lot of Tesla. It's had a very good week there. Very good week on Tesla, yeah. Tesla Tesla is an incredible story. Have you been paying it much attention this week? I mean...
1: I have it, been. I've been paying the share price attention. I've not not been looking into the business deeply. No, but
0: I mean, what are people buying? Hope, Elon Musk. I don't know. I, I've I've read about it this week. I I don't know how you analyze a company like this. I have to admit. Uh, yeah, I think I think the
1: danger with something like Tesla is that you start confusing it with you know like a technology company. Mm.
0: Now, I'm sh- well. I, that's Scottish Mortgage's argument. They say it is a software company, yeah. not a car company.
1: Yeah, or or battery. You know, battery technology. Mm. Okay. I, I, I buy that, but it's making cars with it. And the car industry has got some of those awful economics out there. Tesla itself, you know, is losing money. It may well be proven right. But what we don't know is whether a company in China or Japan or Korea is going to come out and make a better battery than Tesla's making, mm. which then destroys the economics of Tesla. You just don't know.
0: Yeah, it does seem very. This does seem quite speculative, actually. What's happened to the share price there this week? I think it's a short squeeze. I think what, yeah, is what you're squeeze, seeing
1: yeah. is a is a huge capitulation of short sellers who have borrowed shares, betting on the share price going down, taking some incredibly painful losses, and just buying the shares back. And that's what's pushing the share price
0: 11, up. eleven billion. I heard yeah. as a figure uh, that's been lost by hedge funds betting against Tesla. Yeah. And I also heard that uh, there are rumours that some of them are uh, facing bankruptcy as a result of this. And you're smiling there, Phil. <laughs> Long only, Phil. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: No, I think the whole thing about investing is that it never really stands still. Mm. We're, we're always having to challenge the way we think about companies, industries, stock markets. And, you know, maybe, maybe you know, we're at we're at a tipping point at a chain, a changing point where the old rules that people have thought were tried and trusted
0: and well accepted are, are being ripped up in economics and investing or yeah. everything
1: yeah I think you know I think i you know you look at these amazon or amazon's a great example of you know of a business that says look high margins are actually yeah, they're great if you can hang on to them. But Amazon will look at industries with high, with not even high margins, but modest margins, and say, I'm having a slice of that because I've got a business model which is laser focused on efficiency, process leveraging fixed costs and it goes for volume and it can make a lot of money out of it
0: the interesting thing about Amazon there's been a lot of talk about how Amazon is regulated but when we actually wrote a big feature on this um about the, the threat of regulation to, to some of these uh big tech companies and Amazon it, it's not as dominant as you would think it is it has some really strong positions but I mean you know in terms of UK retail it's tiny yeah you know in, in, in the grand scheme of things but it's
1: giving customers what they want you know it's I mean, you can look at the variety of... Pro- Sometimes, you know, on Amazon is not the cheapest place to go. But you know, look at the service it's offering. Same-day delivery. You, know, you pay you £79 a year or whatever, Amazon, free same-day delivery or next-day delivery. Oh, you can have, you know, some some films and some box sets
0: and Premier League football. And- a load of music chucked in. Yeah. For free. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. I use and it, Amazon Prime Music. And I use it loads. Yeah, it's just free. It's free. It's brilliant. And it keeps customers <laughs> sticky.
1: I mean, you look at you know look at the example, but it's not just the retail. Look at the look at what they're doing in their cloud computing business. So, cloud computing, we know we talked about it with Sage in the magazine this week. It's a big growth area. Amazon's actually been cutting prices. It's been cutting prices for its customers because it makes money every time they use it. So it's going for volume. It's cutting prices. It's leveraging. And it's coming through in the results. This is business now, Amazon, Amazon Web Services, now generating significant amounts of cash flow because, because of this strategy. And it is very difficult to compete against.
0: I mean, the one thing that it, it, Amazon has talked about, getting into quite a lot food. Uh, I'm not so sure about this. No. No. And you've actually written about Morrison's as well this week. And that, that's, the, that's the rumor that refuses to die. That I mean, they have a tie-up. They do. The ru- the rumor that refuses to die is that Amazon's going to have a cracker at, at Morrison at some point.
1: Yes, and I I that was a that was something maybe three months ago. I would have f- been fully on board with. I'm not so sure now.
0: It, on the basis that, why bother? I, I
1: just I just think that food it, it's very very difficult to make money from from food in a in an island like ours. Um. It's not something that, you know, if you actually look at the grocery market as a whole, it's not growing. You know, people, people aren't spending more money on food. What's happening is that the, the grocery market is getting carved up between different players. And the theme that's been coming for the last 10 years is that Aldi and Little are very similar business models to Amazon, actually, in that they are ruthless on efficiency. They offer very low prices, high volume. They've got a business model that's tapped into low prices, high volume. Basically, giving customers what they want. Yeah. And it's actually quite difficult for the big supermarkets to compete with that because they are run a business model with big supermarkets, with big overheads, and there's only so much that you can go do, do with prices.
0: Yeah, Morrison seems to be... In a particularly tough. I mean, Sainsbury's had a bit of a mare thanks to the CMA, largely. Um, mm, yeah, kind yeah. Of, I think it's kind of its own failings well, as well. Yeah, but it saw a way out, and the CMA blocks it. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is probably fair enough, really. Uh, but Morrison, as you say in your, your report, seems to be struggling to find its its place in UK retail.
1: Yeah, and I think I think Tesco has also. I think Tesco has got its act together, mm. and. Um, Morrisons I think also if you look at it's and I think Asda has suffered from this as well these sort of northern parts of England um midlands less wealthy areas this is where Aldi and Lidl have really tapped in to this to these kind of parts of the country and it's been very difficult for, for Morrisons and Asda and every all of them to be honest to 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 compete the, Tesco's has been able Tesco's has done a great job I think in
0: Getting back on its feet. Getting back on its feet, but it actually it isn't growing. No. But the experience I have to say the Tesco experience as a shopper is good. It is good, yeah. It is good. Uh in a way that Morrison's, which I have locally too, is not. And it's gone through phases. I think it went through a phase
1: probably ten, eleven years ago when it was doing very well. Mm. Uh it did see and then it messed around with its offer.
0: Yeah, this uh, would be the Dawson Phillips era.
1: No, before, Do- this before was Mark Bolland, Mark Bolland, dear. Ah,
0: yes, yes.
1: Um, but this is you know this is before before the recession, mm. and I think the recession changed changed food retail in this country permanently.
0: You, you you're a bit worried about these shares. Yeah, I think
1: I think one of one of the key attractions I think that's kept people in Morrison shares is is the dividend policy. Essentially, they've had paying a regular Essentially paying the whole profits out.
0: And um, shareholder value, Phil. Shareholder value.
1: You know, what can you do when you can't grow? <laughs> um but it's a temporary game. Mm. And, you know, the, the what what I talk about or what I write about is that, you know, the downward downward trajectory of Morrison's forecast is pretty steep, has been pretty steep. And you know the sort of Cantar data that came out this week was very worrying, and you know it's wholesale business, which obviously is the Amazon part of it. And the Amazon thing hasn't really ramped up yet. But one of their biggest customers was McCall, is McColl's. and McCall's are doing pretty badly, mm, yeah. and and Morrison's is therefore not getting bailed out by wholesale sales.
0: Mm. wants to be very we- careful of then. I think it looks like a yield trap to yeah. me. Don't want to get stuck in one of them. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, that was uh, interesting, wide ranging, all on the subject of competition, which is, uh, I think, I, I, as you say, something that I think we need to keep a very, very close eye on. could re- entirely reshape the way we look at, at companies. Mm. Um, I mean, we you, should always look at this anyway. Yes. You, know, you should always study
1: a company's
0: competitive position. There's
1: nothing new here.
0: But but the CMA's involvement could be a catalyst for change that may, makes it even more important to, 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 to assess the, the competitive position of the companies you're invested in.
1: Yeah, and I think it's not just the CMA. I think governments are going governments across the world are going to be mindful of this because, you know, one of the things that is undoubtedly true is that a lot of a lot of people across the world feel that they don't share the benefits of capitalism.
0: Indeed. Well, I'm sure we'll be returning to this subject again and again and again. Uh, thank you, Phil. Let me just talk you through what else we've got in the magazine this week. It's an absolute beast um, for reasons which I will reveal shortly. Uh, we've got Algae Hall uh, stock screen. Uh, as usual, the news feature this week is a look at RBS pre-results, which what will be the first results under its new uh, chief executive, Alison Rose. Lots in the personal finance and funds section, including the, uh, the money piece on uh, broker service and the importance of that. They will talk about that all on their podcast tomorrow, no doubt. All the usual tips. Lots and lots of news. John Barron is back this week. But obviously, the big highlight. Oh, and your wonderful column. Phil, on Sage, which obviously we t- spoke about at length uh, this week. You put some flesh around that discussion here in, in the magazine. But the big feature in this week's magazine, as I mentioned last week, is Bargain Shares, Simon Thompson revealing his uh, his hidden value picks for uh, 2020. Uh, it's an absolute beast. Huge amounts of work have gone into it. I won't reveal any more. You can go to the newsagent uh, and pick it up yourself. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Phil. Uh, we will be back again next week. Bargain Shares, hidden value. We reveal Simon Thompson's top picks for 2020. Get along to your newsagent and buy it. Thank you.